everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson. Uh, Lyle, what are you grateful for this Ooh, morning? Ooh, let me think. What am I grateful for this morning? I'm grateful for a clean shed. I cleaned my shed yesterday, <laughs> which has been a disaster, which I have been barely able to walk into, but I've had to sort of rejig it from one kind of work to another kind of work. So whenever you go from mechanical to woodworking, you've got to kind of, yeah. you know, rejig everything. Yeah. And so got that done, got the spindle moulder out, started running some tongue, tongue and groove, uh, making some floorboards. So pretty excited about that. Was was good. That's epic. It was. You have Man, no idea. I I get reminded sometimes you're actually smart. This is a fact. You, you can, this is, this you is can, actually a fact. You, you can should, do can, more than do just things. say words. That's this is this is this is true. <laughs> That's awesome. So wait, are you redoing the? I, I need to remind myself this sometimes. <laughs> Uh, yes, building. We're making a floor. Okay, it's a cool floor. Where at? In the kitchen. In the kitchen. Yes, that. It's just amazing. It'd be good to have a floor. It's being made out of old weatherboards off the side of the house, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be sort of like it's going to have that patina of half timber, half old paint, kind of sanded back. Mm. It's just, it looks amazing. I've laid it all out so I can see where it, how it looks, and it just looks stunning. And now I've got to uh, tongue and groove all the timber. That sounds, <laughs> that, that sounds fun. Yes. I, I know absolutely nothing about woodworking, so I assume that that's uh, hard. Very hard timber because yeah. it's, you know, the timber's over 100 years old and it's mm. hardwood and, you know, a lot of it's iron bark. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be hard on the tooling. <laughs> very, very hard. Go Lyle, though. That, dude, that's awesome. We'll get there. God willing. Amen. Oh, yeah. that's so good. Well, I ate some nice food yesterday. It was from Food Pharmacy, and I'm going there to work today. So that's the Head on over and meet Lawson. I'm grateful. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's have a... Okay, we're going to have a look at some positively different news as we do. Yes. I read this news story. And I'm not sure if it's positive, even though it's like being touted as positive news. I wanted to have a conversation with, with you and with our listeners about this. So 0491064669, that's the number to call or text in if you would like to have your say on this story, because I read this and it was being portrayed as a good news story, but I just don't really know. And the reason I want to talk about it, usually if I see a story that I think is dumb, then I just won't talk about it. But I wanted to talk about it because it's actually about churches. Okay. So check this out. In the UK, there's a bunch of historic churches that were built in like a dating back to like the 14th yes. century. Yes, there is. Like epic churches like uh-huh. made out of stones and stuff. Like yes. we have old churches forever. here. We have old churches, but we don't have old churches. No, we don't have old churches. Like we got churches that are 200 years old. That's like nothing yeah. compared to what you find and in Europe. And it's like made out of wood and like, you know, I went to a church in 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 uh, Rome one time. It was built in the third century. Yeah, that's right. That's an old church. This is these are old buildings, old churches. really epic building. But they are they're churches. They're yeah. they're t- like you know places to come and to worship God. Now these churches um, are very much you know on the you know in terms of their popularity and people coming and I guess you could say the secularization of of the UK and and whatnot. They're they're struggling. 
So they have joined into this network um, of churches who are doing this thing called Champing, which I think is a really silly name, but it's basically camping in churches. They're basically turning churches into like Airbnbs that you can like, they're setting up like beds and different things in these old churches, which looks stunning, by the way. Like it looks really cool and really awesome. And people can come and stay in these churches. They can pay money and rent out the church and stay in it and spend time there. Um, and so does this mean that they've got to put in like kitchen facilities? Dude, well, and that's that kind of literally, stuff the literally they have like beds in the middle of like the, you know, where the pews would be and, like, all that kind of stuff. So these are churches that are no longer being used as a place of worship. But the the, the crazy thing is, though, is that the people... Because I would think, like, okay, if it's no longer being used as a place of worship, you sell the church, right? Like, And yes. that happens in Australia recently, just up the road from us in a, um, in a suburb called Taralba here in Newcastle. Like, they sold a church as a building, you know, yes. because it wasn't being used. And we don't have, like, old cool churches here in Australia. We just no. have, like wooden buildings yes so so they sold this church and they sold it to someone who is currently converting it into a house which is awesome because churches are massive and really cool and this person's turning it into a house i'm like that's the coolest thing ever but these churches are still in the possession of their respective religions whether it's presbyterianism or anglicanism right so they haven't been sold they haven't been sold and what's going on here is that the these um the the whole champing thing and people being able to go and stay at the churches. It provides income so that they can maintain the so church. So they can maintain. maintenance on a church that was built 800 years ago is significant. Yeah, that's right. So that's like the business model is that like, okay, so people can cu- pay to come and stay here and we've converted the church into a hotel so that we can keep the, you know, upkeep, you know, uh, sustain the upkeep of the church and keep it going. Mm. And I read this and, and this is like, oh, this is great news because the church is getting money. But I'm like... But as you kind of mentioned before, Lyle, churches are places of worship mm-hmm. and hubs for mission. And it's usually like the like the opposite is happening, right? Because what we see right here is that the community is coming together, uh, well, you know, to pay money to the church for a service that then they, they can use. Whereas usually in ministry, it's the opposite. It's that the members support the church with money. So the church can provide services to the people mm. free of charge, usually, or for very. But they little don't have money. the members to do that. They don't have the members to do that, and so they're going this other way about it. And I've been, I'm reading this story. I'm like, and and my 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 feeling as I read this is I'm kind of just really sad. Okay, so I'm going to share some thoughts on this. I've been listening to this story as you've been sharing it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So Mm. um, give us a call or shoot us a text. 0491064669 is the number. Here's my thoughts. So let's say that your church no longer has members. You now have the option, what are you going to do? Are you going to sell the church or are you going to use it for champing? Mm. Now, I actually think that this is, if you sell the church, you know, somebody's going to convert it into a home or, Mm. you know, a museum or whatever it might be, an art gallery. They get used for all kinds of different uh, purposes. Here's my thoughts. I think they're actually better to turn it into a, well, effectively a a hotel of Mm. of kinds. I think it's better to do that and for it to stay within the possession of the denomination. And here's why. Mm. It is incredibly difficult in today's world 
to build new churches. Mm. So having worked in church planting and having worked particularly in inner city church planting, and a lot of these churches are in, in inner city areas, it is prohibitively expensive to the point of actually being impossible to build new church buildings. Mm. And the reason for that is because when you build a building, there are council regulations. Back in the day, you'd buy a block of land and build a church on it, mm. and everybody would come. These days, when you build on that block of land, you've not got just not to not got to just provide enough pews for your members. Mm. But you have to provide enough car parking spaces for the number of pews. Mm. The regulations that are involved, you know, and that and that means that you've got to buy acres of land in in a city, mm. and and simply nobody can afford that. That's an, that's an impossibility. It's never going to happen. Which means that in many of these inner city locations, for instance, one of the church plants that I was operating in, there were four different congregations operating out of the same church building, mm. which meant that the church building was being overused. There was no parking, of course. We parked up and down the street uh, like everybody did. But the council couldn't stop us because the usage of the building had never changed and the ownership of the building had never changed. Mm. And so if the church maintains the ownership... If a group of people were move into that area at some particular point and say, hey, we want to do a church plant, they can then move back into that building, reopen worship services in that building without having to you know, do all of the prohibitively expensive uh, things mm. that you've got to do to be actually mm. able to uh, build a church in that area. Mm. Whereas if you sell it, so, so you can either turn it into a hotel and maintain own, ownership of it or you can sell it and somebody turns it into a house. Once it's been turned into a house, you can't reconvert it back to a church. Mm. The council will not allow you to do so unless you buy the whole block, demolish all the houses and create enough car parking spaces for the number of pews that you have in the church. Yes. So there's my long kind of thought. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, and I, I, I can see what you're saying, like from a, yeah, from that point of view. At the same time, from my point of view, I just think it's sad when churches are empty and they're not like, like. It's very sad. Because, very, because very sad. church is, and, and, and this is, you know, a cliche that gets thrown around a lot within Christian circles. It's like church is more than a building. And it, and it's true because what is the church? Like the church actually has a function in the community outside of, well, here, like it's a, it's a it's a hotel that people pay to come and stay in, but I just know like many of the our churches here in Newcastle are. Uh, uh, there's a church that I go to every Thursday and help um, out with their. They run a, a a food ministry, right? A food pantry where they give cheap groceries to people in need, like these kinds of things. The churches exist, and congregations of those churches are supposed to support um, this e- effort to help the community. And it feels like these churches are just in this place where it's almost like they're sick and they're dying and they're just being kept alive through becoming a hotel. And I'm like, oh, that that's tragic. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We need to talk about more serious news. And I've actually got a positively different news story. This is oh, a okay. piece of legislation uh, passing through um, the, well, about to be passed through the um, here in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. It's called Zoe's Law. Oh. It's called the Loss of Fetus Bill 2021. This this law has been 12 years in the making. So it came about as a result of um, the, the loss of life of Zoe. Mm-hmm. Now, Zoe was uh, the child of uh, her mother's name was Brodie Donegan, and she was hit by a drug-affected driver on Christmas Day 2009 while she was 32 weeks pregnant. 
Oof. And what happens in these kinds of situations is it kind of, you know, it varies in a lot of different jurisdictions around the world, but because her child was not born, it seems that um, this was not a case of manslaughter uh, or a uh, or, or, or murder in this case because, you know, she lost her child, but, you know, they couldn't actually charge the guy who did this, the drug-affected driver, with this as, you know, a, a, a manslaughter or whatever. Okay, so the bill creates a separate offence of causing grievous, grievous bodily harm to a woman which causes the loss of a pre-born child of at least 20 weeks gestation or a bodily mass of at least 400 grams. Now, mm. I think they should go further back than that, but that's just my opinion. Um, it allows for the charge to name the child and provides access to compensation for funeral expenses for the child. Um, it doesn't apply for children that are killed by abortion, but uh, Zoe means life. Mm. And so the bill could effectively be called life's law because it upholds and recognises the value of an unborn life by the offence, um, but also by naming the child. I think this is really important from a number of different perspectives. First of all, we need to recognise that unborn children are children and that mm. taking the life of an unborn child is a serious offence. This law does that. And the second thing is, as a part of the grieving process, as a part of the, a part of the closure that a, a parent, you know, needs to find and, and the grieving process that a parent needs to go through, this person, this unborn person needs to be recognized as a person. Mm. And now they are legally recognized in law as a person. I think it's fantastic. I think this is something we should wholeheartedly support. Anyway, I did say that we would uh, have a, head over to the United States. And North Dakota has just um, joined a bunch of other states in banning uh, CRT or critical race theory in its curriculum. And its law states that it requires curriculum to be factual and objective. Imagine having to have a law that says in schools your education must be factual and objective. Mm -hmm. I thought that was what school was all about. It passed the, the House uh, 38 to 9, it passed the Senate. Uh, 76 to 16, and you've got uh, Nick Achaluta, um, who represents the North Dakota's Teachers Union, um, and he's, he's, he opposed the law, he opposed the legislation, stating that critical race theory should be debated rather than censored. Ooh, that, okay. I, so that's interesting. I, I love what this man just said. Okay. That is epic. Okay, that that's is interesting. Awesome. However... The, on, on the flip side of that, you've got uh, parents defending education who have been very, very vocal about um, opposing critical race theory, mm. and they've said that critical race theory shouldn't be banned, but it should not be taught as reality. Mm. So that's the purpose that is behind the legislation. It's not about banning it. It's about not teaching it as fact. Yeah. Well, Which I agree. I went to a Christian high school. Yes. I wasn't a Christian. My family weren't Christian. But I went to a Christian high school and in science class, we, you know, in science class, you learn about like sedimentary rock and all these different things. Um, but you also learn about the theory of evolution because that's, that's, right. that's what's prescribed to learn in school. We had a teacher who was a creationist who didn't believe. And we had a bunch of students because the school I went to was actually a good Christian school with good Christian kids. Like I, I really appreciated my time there particularly looking back on it because it was a really, really positive spiritual environment. 
And then, but there are a bunch of kids there as well who were Christian. And I remember one child like raising the point, like one year nine kid being like, I don't actually believe in this. Do I have to learn this? And the point that the teacher made was like, Hey, like, you know, this is what's being prescribed to us. And we're going to look at this perspective and investigate, you know, whether it's true and, and see what we think. And it was actually, it was a really good science class for Absolutely. year nine. But again, it came from that perspective of rather than censorship, um, you know, critical thinking and, and debate. That's right. And this is what the law is uh, attempting to do. Mm. It's like, okay, we're going to teach. And, and, and the thing that, that, that goes through my mind is, okay, if, uh, if the curriculum has to be factual and objective, then what are they going to do about um, the theory of evolution? <laughs> yeah. Because both of these are theoretical and both of them are, are ideologically based. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that our education should be factual and objective, mm. but I think that we it should include exploring ideologies yeah. that other people have and looking at the pros and cons of them um, rather than just um, censoring them. So anyway, that's what's happening in North Dakota. Um, and, of course, they've done this because they've said, you know, critical race theory is uh, extremely um, racially divisive. Yes. Um, yes. And that they just sort of don't want to have racial divisions of that uh, level in their in their state. Anyway, continuing on in education in the US and kind of along the same theme, you've got 26 states that have distanced themselves from the Biden administration's National Schools Board Association. Twelve of those states have withdrawn altogether. So they've just pulled out completely. And this is after the National Schools Boards Association urged the use of the FBI against parents who oppose critical race theory or uh, radical gender ideology. So this was a story that broke uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess. Um, This particular letter by the National Schools Boards Association to Joe Biden labelled these kinds of parents as domestic terrorists um, and basically has been seen as an aggressive move to silence parents. So what you've had is right across the United States, you've had parents have been standing up in the school's board where they have, you know, every parent has a right for their three minutes at the school's board mm. to speak about critical race theory and radical gender ideology. Mm. And there have been some very, very, very vocal parents and some parents who have put out put some some really well put arguments in these classes and severely embarrassed uh, a whole bunch of schools and if you don't believe me just go on YouTube and mm. you'll find a whole slew of them right there uh, because they have been recorded and released to YouTube and so the National Schools Boards Association has said well they're creating an unsafe environment within the schools for children and so we need to call in the FBI because the FBI deals with terrorism um, rather than you know the local police who just deal with you know if there's a if there's a protest or if there's yeah. a um, someone makes a death threat or something like that you call the local police mm. and so this has this has been quite the response twenty six states distancing themselves twenty twelve states pulling out altogether um, that's kind of like an act of civil war I don't know <laughs> um, and. Uh, when the, the when the National Schools Boards Association wrote to the FBI, they didn't just write to sorry wrote to Joe Biden. They just didn't just write to Joe Biden. They also sent that letter to the press. Yeah. So they wanted it out there as to how aggressive they were actually going to be about this uh, particular issue. 
these states have said no if there is a if there is a danger if there is a threat this has always been an issue for the local police you don't call in the FBI for these mm. kinds of circumstances just because you've got some parents who are angry about the curriculum you know you don't get in the FBI for that mm. we can we can deal with that at the local level um, and the Biden, of course, response was to, to ask the FBI to convene meetings with the federal, state, local, tribal and territorial leaders to discuss strategies for dealing with angry parents. So moving the FBI into state territory. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're talking about virtuous women. We have uh, Kate Kariga joining us <laughs> yes, here in the studio good. right now. Nice segue. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that there is at least one man here in the uh, in the local area who would put your price above the particular one in this quiz that I will try not to mention <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kate, uh, well, you, well, Kate's been on Faith FM from yeah, time to time in the past. I have. Um, no stranger to the studio here, but you've just recently started working full time in this office. I have, yes, evangelism and health. Mm. Okay, and of course, uh, typically at this time of the month, we have Camilla Scaff who comes on to talk about health. We had Camilla last week to talk about food pharmacy because we wanted to do a uh, a special on that because it's so exciting what is happening over there at food pharmacy. Yeah. Which means that Camilla couldn't really fill in for today because she's kind of doing 20-hour days over at Food Pharmacy. So, um, Kate, you're the new secretary for the health department. <laughs> I am. So it, here I am. <laughs> it, it, it falls to you. Yes. Okay, but you've got a background in health. You've been working in the health um, the health field for quite a period of time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, what field have you been working in? This is going to be an interesting discussion. <laughs> it will be an interesting discussion because I was all about colon health. Okay. I was a colon hydrotherapist. Uh, so am I allowed to talk about poo on the radio? You are allowed to talk about poo on the radio. Okay. In fact, we really need to get to the bottom of this subject. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> okay, let's just let's just start by let's just start by talking about the colon itself. Where is the colon? What does it do and why is it important to our health? Oh, good question. Um, kind of in your tummy area. Yep, the soft um, part where there's no ribs. The soft part. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, what does it do? It processes uh, your your food that becomes um, your waste. Yes. Um, and it pushes it through. Um, and, yeah, it's very important that it does go through uh, in a timely fashion because otherwise you can get blockages, which is, um, yeah, why people come to colon hydrotherapists. Mm. <laughs> okay, so let's just run through the process. Um, the food begins by, begins being digested when it's in your mouth when you're chewing it. Yes. And then and you, you get mix it with saliva. Yes. And then you put it in your stomach and you mix it with hydrochloric acid. Yes. And then it goes from there to, where does it go next? Like the duodenum? Oh, yes. I've forgotten all of that. I studied okay. it, but. <laughs> <laughs> you just know about the bottom part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Where it ends up. <laughs> yes. So when we're talking about the colon, are we talking about the, what, the large intestine, small intestine? It's the large intestine. Large intestine. Yeah, so, okay. the, so the matter goes from the, the small intestine into your large intestine. And the, in colon hydrotherapy, basically we gently put water inside, um, and, and it, goes the entire length of your large intestine. Now, with the large intestine, by the time your food gets down to the large intestine, 
is it still I, I, am I still absorbing nutrients from it there or am I just storing waste? You are absorbing nutrients right yeah which is why when there's layers on the edge of the colon it's not good because then you can't absorb those nutrients but it's not as much as what happens in the in the small intestine you would absorb more okay so um, yeah the absorption process decreases all the way through until it comes out. Heads, heads out as waste yes all right so um, you talked about layers on the inside of yeah. the large intestine on the inside of the colon now those layers, I guess, would act like a, yeah, just well, a, kind of like a a, a bag in oh. a barrier, a barrier. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Yep. A barrier to stop the nutrients from getting through. That's right. What creates those layers? Oh, that's such a good question. It's dehydration. That's a simple answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Dehydration <laughs> equals constipation. That's my favorite saying um, in the right. colon era, oh, world. Sorry, not era. Yep. Um, and. Yeah, so basically what happens when you get dehydrated, um, your blood still has to stay thin and move around your body. So it, it's like, okay, where do I get water from? And you actually have some water in your large intestine and so it steals it or borrows it back from the large intestine so it, it can circulate around your body. So it's body is such an amazing thing how <laughs> it self-preserves. It's like, okay, what are the most critical functions that we have? Let's preserve those and hope for the best with the other ones. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can imagine when the blood um, has borrowed some water <laughs> from the colon, um, that's how we get stinking thinking because it's, uh, you know, circulating around our brain and our organs. So you're feeling a bit yucky and have stinking thinking. Um, so, yeah, um, and when, you know, obviously you don't have as much water in your colon because it's being borrowed. Um, and so what goes, what's in your colon kind of gets sucked to the colon wall. It kind of dehydrates and just kind of gets sucked there and it stays there and that's a bit of a layer. And then next time you're dehydrated, a little bit more, um, you know, another layer happens and then another layer and another layer. So that's why, yeah, dehydration is pretty much the worst thing you can do for your colon. Worse wow. Than, worse than meat eating. <laughs> really? Wow. Yes. Okay. So... Um, when you look at a picture of a colon, you know, in one of these anatomy books, it's a fairly big thing. I mean, it's called the large intestine for a reason. When you're working in colon health, do you find colons that have had so many layers on them that they've actually just layered up until nothing goes through? Well, I've heard um, that when people have uh, colonoscopies, um, uh, apparently there were photos, I haven't seen them, where there's only a pencil width um, that you could only put a pencil inside. And this Am I is, and this any is sense? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is, and this is all primarily from dehydration. Yeah. Are there other factors other than dehydration that can cause that to happen? Yes. Uh, so eating um, meat, obviously, because meat takes such a long time to, to digest. Um, so, yeah, it takes a long time to go through. Um, uh, so it can get stuck. Um, not having enough fiber. Uh, drinking tea and coffee because it's dehydrating. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's part Soft of that. drinks? Soft drinks aren't as bad as tea and coffee. Alcohol? Um, alcohol, definitely. That's very dehydrating. Yes. Yep. And V's um, or mother, um, those drinks. Uh, yeah, like energy drink. Energy. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, wow. So you be you can be taking in all kinds of liquids that are actually – Taking liquids out rather than putting liquids in. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So if you have three glasses of water in yes. the morning and then you have three cups of tea, <laughs> and, and that is um, not herbal teas, it's black tea. 
Right. Um, so with herbal teas, are herbal teas a problem as well? No, no. They, okay. they count as water. So. Right. Okay, so what is it about black tea that... Uh, it must it, be the caffeine. It's the caffeine content that yeah. Yeah, dehydrates. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a different kind of herb, but it's one that has caffeine in it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So if you have three glasses of water and then three cups of something dehydrating, it's, it cancels each other out. So it's like you've drunk no water. Ooh, ouch. I know. So I sometimes see people drinking, you know, Coke um, or coffee all day, and I just think, oh, you're poor Colin. Please drink water. <laughs> <laughs> Only a colon hydrotherapist would ever think that way. <laughs> oh, that person's poor Colin. Yeah, the rest of us are like, oh, that poor person, they, they're going to be unwell from a whole bunch of different reasons, but <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> your mind just goes right there. <laughs> Another interesting thing uh, with um, hydration is that you can put a tiny little bit of Celtic sea salt in your water. Yes. Yeah, mm. and it helps helps your body to absorb the, the water better because, you know, our water is so affected. It's been, um, it's got chlorine and fluoride and all sorts of things. And then we have to filter that out. I hope you filter that out. <laughs> um, tank water. Go tank oh, water. Oh, tank water is the best. Yeah. It is. Um, and so it's good to add back in the minerals that you've taken out. Um, and so, yeah, Celtic sea salt or Himalayan salt, just a mm. little tiny pinch um, in a glass of water or up to a quarter of a, t- a teaspoon in every litre. Of water um, it helps your your body to actually receive the water, so it goes into the cells um, rather than sort of, you know, it's like it crosses the cell membrane if it has the the minerals in it. Mm. So this sense. is why this is why guys are working in you know really hot environments, um, extreme hot environments, and so they're just constantly hydrating, constantly drinking water. They're also popping salt tablets. That's why. Mm. That's exactly okay. why. Or using because like, you kind of think of salt as being well, surely that would dehydrate you yeah. and just dry you out and make you feel like you know just a crusty piece of salt. Yes. But it's not. It's actually enabling you to. Do you have to add that salt to your water if you have salt in your diet already? Well, when you're eating, it's very different from when you're drinking. So you should actually drink away from your meal times. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least half an hour, if not an hour, um, especially after. Um, so I, the general rule that I do is half an hour before I eat, I try to stop drinking and then an hour after I eat, um, I don't know. It kind of changes. <laughs> it's like what it, we have to be pragmatic about this. Pragmatic, things. yeah, because I've heard it's an hour and a half after you eat that you shouldn't drink, and I just think that's too long. So it's like, what's practical? Um, but yeah, so um, by the time you drink again, it's you know you need a little bit more salt, but it's very different um, from regular salt. So don't put right. table salt in your water. Okay, <laughs> that probably would be dehydrating. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. What about just um, you know, I'm out fishing and just um, lean over the side of the boat and grab a cup full of um, seawater. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> fish pee in that, bro. Like, stop, stop. <laughs> I think that would give you diarrhea, <laughs> and then that would be very dehydrating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting. Ah, I love talking about hydration. That's really cool because I, I, I um, oh, I, I love listening to podcasts about this stuff, and they've like the big, you know, big development recently in 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 sports, um sports nutrition is like the balancing of like you know um like sugar and salt in water um and like adding carbohydrates to water to make it a slow 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 burning hydration versus like a different different which is called an isotonic which is like power aid and all that stuff that's basically it's basically hacking into your body and doing like 
crazy cool stuff. Yeah, dude. Oh, but th- there's a company who did the opposite of... So you've got an isotonic, like a Powerade, which adds sugar and electrolytes so that you have slow-burning hydration. Mm-hmm. But then you have the opposite of that, where they balance the salt content so that you can just be hydrated immediately, which is... And it's where they... Yeah, they, they actually increase the salt content... Um, of water so that it can immediately hydrate you rather than being slow burning hydration. And so this is, yeah, oh, I love this stuff, which would be fantastic, I guess, for your, for your colon. Okay. So, so let's, let me, let's get back to the, to the story of the colon. We've got this problem where if your, if your waste dries out, it starts to create layers on the outside of the colon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then you've got, uh, and that happens when you don't hydrate enough. The other thing that I'm thinking of is if you're not hydrating, then your waste, your stool is going to be a lot harder. I would mm-hmm, imagine. Definitely. And then harder to push out. Yes. And I can't imagine it's be going to be healthy if you're sitting on the toilet straining to... No. It's <laughs> the quickest way to hemorrhoids. Right. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and what's worse is that, um, you know, the more layers that are on the colon wall that build up, the, the more things kind of build up above that. And so you get these little pellets. We call them rocks and pebbles. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that sit above. Um, and so obviously your, your colon is trying to, you know, the peristalsis movement, um, it's trying to push it out, but because, you know, it's hard um, and the, the tunnel to escape is, is getting narrower, um, it's like your, your colon is having a conversation with your brain. It's like, okay, push. All right, let's get it out. And then your brain's like, okay, push. And so your body's really trying to get it out. And so that's why a lot of people have... Um, you know, diarrhea, like they have um, IBS and the diarrhea symptoms of IBS because it's like um, your body's trying so hard to get out those rocks and pebbles <laughs> um, that it pushes out what what can fit through, which is the undigested food and, and um, I guess the matter that's not ready to come out yet. That should be staying there and you should be still gaining nutrition from yes. and hydration from, etc. So it actually starts to create a vicious cycle. Exactly. Ooh, that sounds like a very nasty kind of thing to take place. Now, of course, um, you, your background is working in, in, in colon hydrotherapy where you introduce... Um, water. Water? Yeah. And how much of that um, those layers can you break down by introducing water into the colon? Well, um, the first session is all about soaking um, into the old stuff. And so it's, um, you know, you use hot and cold, hot and cold water um, and... Then, yeah, um, it can take a few sessions, like three sessions, maybe six sessions before they're broken down. It's soaking them. Yikes. <laughs> Soak it all out and uh, then start a new lifestyle that is free of meat and high in water with a touch of Himalayan salt. Yes. Mm. yes. There you go. Uh, Kate Gariga, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.